Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. It is uh, great to be back home in Middle Tennessee, and I want to say good morning and welcome to all of you who are joining us this morning. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, and I serve here as pastor, and want to welcome those who are joining us on the live stream as well. During this month, we are reminded of our vision statement that Christ community exists to make and mobilize disciples of Jesus Christ to love, serve, grow, and renew. We do that in many different ways, and in this Advent season, we've had a few of our folks who are involved in various ministries here at Christ Community to share just a brief uh, story or ways in which they are living out uh, discipleship here at Christ Community. And this morning, we have one of our uh, leaders, one of our deaconesses and volunteer leaders, Kelly Fortner, who has a video sharing about one of the ministries that we support and serve here at Christ Community, Franktown. And that video will roll here. What's really neat about just being with someone you don't know and them being very vulnerable in letting you walk and help you shop with them for their family, it's just heartwarming and exciting to be able to help someone um, love someone that they love well. Uh, my name's Kelly Fortner, and I volunteer with Franktown. Franktown is in Franklin, Tennessee, and it is a mentoring program that um, brings low-income kids to people who are willing to volunteer and mentor them in schooling, tutorials, um, skill work. They just come alongside of kids who are less fortunate and um, walk with them, walk with their families. So Franktown has a shopathon uh, every Christmas time, early December. And so it is a time where the students of Franktown uh, are paired with volunteers, uh, two adults at least, and they, the adults, will take the children out to shop for their families. There are so many ministries that you can love and show others love and be a disciple. You know, just do life with people who aren't in your normal circle. It has just been a blessing and each year I know they need it. It's a need. It is a clear need that um, these students and these children don't go to Walmart and Target every day. Their parents may not have cars, so they do not get to go shopping. And so this is just a, a joyful need that I'm able to, that anybody can participate in. And it's, it's an afternoon and it's glorious. It is indeed great to hear the many testimonies, the way in which you as the congregation of Christ community have given sacrificially in the ministry of word and deed here 
in this church and in this community. We're grateful for the ways that the Lord is opening up new doors for partnership, renewal of relationships that we've had over decades, ways in asking God, Lord, how can we serve this community to pour out the love of Jesus in word and deed? Because that is what you have done for us. And I too am a recipient of your love and encouragement. When I stood before you last Sunday, I didn't anticipate that I would have to uh, get in a car and uh, race to North Carolina to be with my mother. But I'm grateful for so many of you who have sent texts and prayers, emails to Kate and to me and to say that you are praying. And so many of you, with great sincerity in your eyes, have said, is there anything that we can do? And I want to just say thank you. I would love to be able to put on a a smiling face this morning, but it's been a hard week. But I know that my mother's faith is in Jesus Christ, but more importantly, I know that the Lord Jesus has her, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I could see her and to see my dad and to see the love poured out for them. My mother is 84 years old. My father is 85. My mom knows that she's in her last days. And it was just, it's just one of those weeks where I had to sit back and receive your care and concern. So if you've asked me how I'm doing, if my answer seems a little off, it's because, well, I'm off and I'm just doing the best that I can. But I wanna thank you for your care for me and my family and your words of encouragement, so thank you. So this text this morning, as the song which we sang, I Raise a Hallelujah, I don't have permission to share the folks, the family's name, but that song was written in the heart of a particular family's great challenge as their son had been given a very difficult and hard prognosis. And a whole team of songwriters who were their friends were praying for them. And in that process and in those days where they didn't know if their son would live beyond the next day, one of those songwriters called him and said, in one of their recording opportunities, this line came. I raise a hallelujah. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. And as I walked into the sanctuary this morning to do a sound check, they were rehearsing that song. Now I'll tell you, as I've said before, as a pastor, it's easy just to be the professional. You come in and, and they're singing songs and, and you, you hear it, but you don't hear it, right? I didn't realize how much I needed that song this morning. That in the middle of the storm, I will raise an hallelujah. This is the Sunday where we, we mark that in Advent Sunday, it's the week that we remember the joy that we have in the midst of trial in the midst of the storm. Can we raise an alleluia? Can you? 
How zoomed in are you on all that troubles you? And what do you do when those seem so close? Do you try to escape the difficult emotion like I do? (laughs) Do you try to choke down and like suppress that until you can be private in your car and then you distract that with music or news or podcasts? So the Lord has forced me to come close to this text this morning and this week where I couldn't just suppress it. The question before me is, can I raise an hallelujah? So this morning, perhaps more than most, I don't know that I have much, but I have a little bit to share. So let's go to this passage and I've said to the, to the production team, I'm gonna read one more verse than, than that's on the screen. But they're okay with that, you're okay with that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. I'm gonna read verses six and seven. We already read a few of the verses prior. Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? So as we, Father, come to your word, we ask that you, Jesus, who is mediating for us before the Father even now, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to see wondrous things in your word. Open our eyes, open our hearts, that we, even in the midst of storms, would be able to raise a hallelujah a joy that is not tied to our circumstances, to our future, nor a joy that is born out of a past that feels oftentimes broken, but a joy that is rooted in who the king is and who the king is for us. That you would send a redeemer that would not only be human as a child, but a child that is also God, our Redeemer is God. Help the teacher, in Jesus' name, amen. Two things I want you to see this morning as we look together at these two verses is first, that the emphasis is not on the to us portion. We are completely secondary. What is primary first is the root. And that root is the promise of God. Second is the child. 
is the child. First is the root. The root is God's promise. The second is the child. While we, it says to us, the emphasis in the Hebrew is a child is born. So he is primary. He is the root. So as we look at this together, I want you to first understand the backdrop of where we are in Isaiah. Isaiah has just spent the first eight chapters unpacking as prophet to God's people, reminding them why it is they have faced judgment from the Lord. His first prophecy, of course, is to now the northern tribe of Israel, which is what's called the the place of the Gentiles. And, And because they were giving themselves over as Jews, they were giving themselves over not to the Lord, but to enemy nations, creating treaties and promises and relationships that were ultimately a rejection of who God was and of his promises. So his message to them is that the Lord has allowed his judgment to fall on the northern kingdom of Israel and that they would be defeated by the Assyrians. This is a hard word. And what they are faced with is the reality that their brokenness, their desire for control, their absence of trusting the promises of God and of his faithfulness, they have chosen to live by their own understanding and their own wisdom. So the Lord says, okay, see how this goes. And he allows the Assyrians to overcome them. But there is a promise in the midst of the judgment. And that promise is that a light will shine in the darkness because the Lord means, and means to promise and fulfill that he will have a remnant that will remain faithful to his promises and to his person. And that remnant, though surrounded by their brothers and sisters who are rejecting who the Lord is, this remnant who says that they will trust the Lord, that remnant will receive the promise, the root of God's promise. That's the first part of this passage. For leading up to verse six, he's talking about what this remnant is experiencing. And he says clearly, he says, you have been walking in darkness. You have enjoyed, rather you have suffered from the fact that your fellow countrymen have given themselves over to a people who are now your oppressors. They have divided you, they have plundered you, and they have not remembered that I am the Lord. But he says to them, though you're walking in darkness, a light has shone. Though you are living in darkness, a light has dawned. And in fact, he means that even in the midst of the darkness, that the Lord will increase their joy. And then begins verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. That's the first part of verse 6. What's important to note about what's happening in that first part of verse 6 is it 
counteracts the very thing that the Lord has just reminded them of through the prophet Isaiah. Though they are now under the hand of their oppressors who've laid on their shoulders this oppression and plundered them and divided them and even taken them away from their home, a light has shone for a child will now be their king, will come to be their king. And all of that burden of defeating those oppressors, all of the authority that is wrapped up in all government authority will be invested in this child who will be king. And the, what's important to note when you read through Isaiah and other prophets is that Isaiah is using what's called a prophetic tense. It's future yet perfected, which means it has already as though it's happened. They have increased their joy because God has given a promise and that promise is as sure as if it is already taken place. And that promise is of God's deliverance through a king who will come, who will defeat their enemy, but who will take on an authority and a government which will see no end. The root of their joy is not in their families. The root of their joy is not in their wisdom. The root of their joy is not in their present circumstances. The root of their joy is in the promise of God. But when you're faced with the reality that is not yet changing, how do we find that joy? Is it just positive self-talk? Or rather, what does Isaiah intend for the people of God to do? It is actually to rehearse and remember what the Lord has said and what the Lord has promised. So each Advent season, the church of Jesus Christ has traditionally gone back to remember what the Lord has said about his promises that he, a child would come and would be a light to the nations and that who would be a king and that he would lead them out of exile. For they've been exiled from their homeland under the oppressors of the Assyria, but a king will come who will come first as a child, who will grow up, who will become king and lead them out of exile and who will rule them as king, everlasting. Isaiah pronounces this to the people of God, Israel, and to the remnant. They could not yet see exactly what this was going to be. But we, as the church of Jesus Christ, on this side of the resurrection, must remind ourselves of how the story goes. Last week when we were together, it is announced in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, the ultimate oppressor, the ultimate source of evil, Satan himself. And yet, the Assyrians are the instruments by which 
they are now receiving this oppression. Who will ultimately crush the head of the oppression? Who will ultimately bring victory? Here the Lord now says, a child, the seed of a woman. This is important to note because of what happens at the beginning of Matthew. In Matthew chapter four, we hear these words. Now, this is Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. And it says this, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, the very place that the prophecy of Isaiah is referring to. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what had been said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light and those living in the shadow, the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And so we, as the church of Jesus Christ, on this side of the resurrection, look back and see how Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the child that would be born. And he comes and he preaches freedom from exile. And that exile is because of our sin and our brokenness. And he says, repent, turn to me. We need reminding of that, that our deep joy is not in our circumstances or what we can control or hope to control, but our joy is in the promise of God who would send a child who would be king, who would be a light in our darkness. My mother, as I'm sitting there with her on uh, Saturday, I don't even know what date it is, Friday night, as we were sitting there together, she said to me, Randy, I hope I've been a good mother. If you've been with folks who were in their last days, how often is that not the existential thing that we feel? I hope I've done enough. And she said to me, she said, um, Randy, you, I believe the Lord. I, I, believe that, I believe in Jesus. I, you know I believe those things, but I've tried to do the best that I can. And that was, <laughs> all I can do for my very mother and all I can offer you, the only thing I can offer myself is to be reminded of the promises of God no amount of my good or your good will cancel out our sin. As I had to hold my mother's hand and say, Mom, you're a great mother, but even if you had been perfect, it's not enough. It's not whether you believe and trust in Jesus, it's that Jesus loves you. The King has come. 
a light has dawned. And those living in darkness can sing with joy because of the king. The root of our joy is the promises of God. And that promise is the second point, the child. And I want you to see a couple of things about this passage. It's not just, first, it's the fact of his birth, the second part of six. It then goes through the list of things that are quickly the results of the child that would become king. Notice what it says in quick succession through names. He says, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What's being referred to there is the very thing of which Isaiah is, the mouth of God of wisdom. The the kind of counseling that it's talked about is not therapy, of course. It also isn't just positive self-talk or remember this God will not let anything more difficult than you can handle happen to you. It's not that. It's supernatural wisdom of God that the wonderful counselor will be the one who speaks in our darkness, not human wisdom, but supernatural promise. He is wonderful counselor. Then it says, mighty God. El Gabor is the actual further a word there, which means the mighty warrior. It is the only, the second time which this is used in Isaiah. The only other time that it is used is one chapter over in chapter 10, where he refers to the Lord God as the mighty Lord, the mighty one. This is the promise that this one will be God. He will not merely be human and given to sinful tendencies. Rather, he will be a righteous one, perfect, wonderful counselor, yet he is mighty and he will do our battle for us. He will win the battle. Thirdly, everlasting father and prince of peace is the way in which he will be mighty God and wonderful counselor. First, this everlasting father, that his care for his remnant, his people, for his church, will be as a father who loves his children. A caring, unending love of a father. But he will also be the prince of peace, Israel, because it had rejected God, had only known war and rumors of war. And yet now the promise is that this king, this child, will live out his kingship that will have a peace that will know no end. These are the ways in which, of course, that this child, this righteous king, would come. But the hard part of this is what happens next. In verse seven, it says simply, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, which means he will be a succession of David, and over his kingdom and establishing and upholding it. 
what's interesting is that in the Jews and the Old Testament uh, nation of Israel had a hard time understanding, wait a second, is this merely going to be a human king which will establish all these things for us and return us to our former glory? What kind of king will this be that will lead us out of exile? They were not expecting what they would hear from the mouth of Jesus. For later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, dealing with this very question, says this. In answering the question of the Pharisees in chapter 22, they say, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they're like, well, that's a good question. And he said, the son of David, they replied. Because they're like, well, he must be the son of David because he, he follows David on the throne. And so then Jesus speaks into their confusion to bring light, but they, they can't see it. And this is what he says. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls this child Lord? Because David does in Psalm 110, and then Jesus quotes it. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put my enemies at your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could answer a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. (laughs) You might be wondering, I don't get it. Quickly, let's work with this. We learned last week that, of course, that there is a line that you can go to Matthew chapter one and see that the line from David to exile by way of generations is 14. And then from, during from the exile to the coming birth of Jesus is also 14 generations. It is a son of David, but it wasn't merely going to be a man because David speaks of this child in Psalm 110 when he says, calls him Lord. So how can he be a son that he then bows his knee to and worships? It is because it is no mere human child. It is God tabernacling with us, Emmanuel, God with us. That the child is the gift of God's promise who would become king, who is wonderful counselor, mighty God. This is the one that is the promise, that this child would be king who would come in our midst. My friend and colleague, Pastor George Robertson, shared this illustration that I could not improve on. And so I'm borrowing it from him. One of the church planters that his church has supported over the years was a church planter in the south of England near the Isle of Wight. Now on in years when he was a child, this church planter grew up in Buckingham Palace not because he was royal, but because his father was a grenadier. The grenadiers are a part of the king's special security force, like our secret service. 
So during the year, school year, Jeff and his sister grew up in Buckingham Palace. And in the summers, they would go down near the Isle of Wight to stay with their grandmother. And on one of these occasions, during the summer, the king, King George, who was the king, King George was coming down for a special regatta, sailing regatta, of which his ship was a part of it. And so the town that was getting ready at the Isle of Wight was getting ready for the king's coming and the regatta. And so they had a rope line, as you all have seen, if we've watched the BBC. And so Jeff and his sister were looking forward to going down and seeing the king disembark from his ship and to make his way to his carriage. But they also hoped to get an eyesight of their father. And so he and his sister went down with their grandmother and got there along the rope line. But of course, as you all know, some of you may be in this room, you love to watch the royals. Some people make it their life's work to go wherever the royals are showing up in hopes that perhaps they might be recognized by one of the royals. This was exactly one of those situations. So as the king was disembarking from his ship and going up to, with the procession up to his carriage, this woman comes from behind up to the rope line and all of her regalia picks up Jeff and his sister, moves them out of the way, gets in the rope line in hopes that King George will be able to recognize her. Oh, he did recognize her. And he comes over and he's standing in front of her and he gets on his knees and he says to little Jeff and his sister, your father will be along in just a few minutes. And he gets up and he turns to go back to his carriage. And as he does, the woman, in shock and disgust, turns to Jeff and his sister and says, who are you (laughs) that the king would talk to you? She's flabbergasted. Well, the king heard that too. King George turns around, comes right back to her, looks her in the eye and says, it's because we live in the same house. He turns and he goes to his carriage. Now that is a king who would not only recognize two children who are in a vast house, but would take a moment to speak to them, even advocate for them. How beautiful, irresistible is the love of our God the Father, who would send a promise to a remnant in Israel in the midst of his disobedience and say, a light has shone in the darkness and you have seen a great light. For a child shall be born to you and the government will be on his shoulders and he In the midst of your darkness, he will be wonderful counselor, reminding you of my promises. Mighty king and mighty God who will be the warrior who will die in our place, but who will also be one who is so humble. Think about our mission statement. Disciples of Jesus Christ to love, serve, grow, and renew. You want to know what that's linked to? Because our God, who would send a son, who would become king, would do so in his love 
for his father and his love for the world, who would come to serve and not to be served, who would grow up among his fellows, his neighbors, but who would consider him stricken, smitten by God, and yet who through his death and resurrection would promise to bring renewal. That is a king who is worth our worship. That is a king to whom we can raise an alleluia. I'm not sure how battered or broken your joy might be this morning. It's dented and nobody can buff it out from a human perspective. But the beauty of this promise is the Redeemer is not just human. The Redeemer is also God, mighty King, who is the source of our joy, who promises to rescue us from the exile of sin and brokenness and to call us his own, to be a king for a people who then receive his love and his mercy and then are released. Why do we care about ministering with Franktown or Graceworks or all the ministries of hard bargain in this community and supporting church planters and evangelistic groups? Why do we care about telling the story? Why do we care about serving others and loving others with our time and our talent? And why do we seek to be part of the living body of Christ, it is because we have a king whose kingdom is so much greater than the world's kingdoms, who's shown us grace and mercy and love, and now we get to be the hands and feet of the king. And we get to go and tell that story in word and deed. This is what we are called to be. This is why we give, this is why we sacrifice, this is why we volunteer. This is why we seek to provide meals and why we come close to those who are hurting and broken. This is why we want this to be a safe place for those, whether you're single, you're a single single parent, whether you're married and have no children, whether you're married and have children, whether you're married and can't have children, whether you're struggling with addiction, whether you're struggling with sin that feels like you can't Let go of it because you feel like you're in its grips. The story of the renewal of the king, that is God, brings us peace and a joy in the midst of the storm. That is my encouragement to you this morning because it is the encouragement I'm preaching to my own soul. Our God is good. Let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, this child, a child born to us, but a child who would be king, who doesn't just rescue us from sin and death, but who becomes our king to bring all things new. Help us to sing in the midst of the storm Because even as Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That means you are jealous (laughs) to make this known.
for us to see and receive it. Help us to do so, O Lord, to look for the coming King, to restore all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.